Acts chapter 1, page 1092 in your church Bibles. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thanks, Mike. Do keep that passage open in front of you, and uh, we're heading into a, uh, a brand new series this term, um, which we're talking, uh, which we're calling Walking the Steps of Jesus. But actually, it's the sequel to last term. Um, when we were looking at the book of Luke. Now, you'll know if you um, are at all a moviegoer or a film watcher that sequels have a somewhat checkered reputation over the years, I mean, depending on your taste in films. Um, some of the great films of my teenage and 20s years were ruined, at least in retrospect, by sequels that were just rubbish. Um, so the, the, the slightly... Um, uh, down at heel uh, delights of the, the silly uh, excitement of speed with Keanu Reeves. Do you remember that one? Running around on a bus with a... Couldn't go below speed. Speed 2 was just bizarrely awful. I don't, I'm not even going to go into it, but it involved a boat rather than a bus. But anyway, the, the excitement isn't quite the same. Um, or Grease. Now, there's a classic. Anybody ever seen Grease 2? Really don't. I, I just, just truly terrible. The worst of all, which may not be your taste at all, but my teens were um, somewhat shaped uh, to a certain extent by the great cult classic um, Blues Brothers. Uh, it was uh, in the day when you, you, were, you could really only count yourself as a proper teenager if you knew all the lines from the Blues Brothers and could sing half the songs. Well, Blues Brothers 2000, the sequel, it's just toe-curlingly awful. You get the sense, and in fact this isn't a caricature, this is almost certainly entirely the truth, that what's happened is that this film studio have gone Greece, wow, load of money, lot of prestige, got to come up with something for Greece too. And so you get a group of writers together and you think, can we think of a story to tell that gives us the excuse to make a second film? It's all about simply making the money. It's not like there's a story that must be told. It's simply, can we think of something to say? Um, of course, there are sequels that really work. And they tend to be, they're not exclusive, they tend to be the sequels where you expect them anyway. Where actually part two is part two of a story that began in part one. Lord of the Rings is a classic one. You, don't, you wouldn't want to just be left with the Lord of the Rings part one because you sort of, what happens next? I want to know. Um, Star Wars, the original trilogy. You know, there's a story that needs to go on being told. A sequel that's worth its name continues the story. It doesn't just try and think up something for the sake of it. What you may or may not know is that the book of Acts is a sequel. That Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, went on to write Acts. But that there's no sense whatsoever in his writing of Acts of simply coming up with another story to tell. There's a very strong sense in Acts of this is a continuation of what's come before. 
And in fact, um, writers and scholars talk of them as Luke Acts, part one and part two of this great story that Luke has. And in fact, there's more to it than that. The two books have a huge amount in common, which you might otherwise miss. For a start, they both cover roughly 30 years in time. It covers the 30 years of Jesus' life and ministry, and then the 30 years, which are the first 30 years of the early church, from around AD 30 to around AD 60. But there's actually even more in common between the two books, and they become more and more obvious as you flick between the two, and I'd love you just to do that with me for a a minute or two. Um, Keep your finger on page 1092 for the beginning of Acts, and just hop back a few pages to page 1025. So for a start, both books begin with an introduction. He writes them very similarly. He writes them both to this wonderfully named Theophilus, uh, literally um, uh, the the fearer of God, um, but almost certainly the name of his probably quite wealthy patron. And he writes about what he's doing. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us just as they were handed down. Verse 3, therefore, since I have myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I wanted to write it down. Then Acts chapter 1, verse 1, in my former book, I wrote about and now. So they begin with an introduction, but they also begin with a sense of waiting, a sense of preparation. In Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, you've got a sense of this holding your breath for the beginning of something remarkable. You've got the the promise and then the birth of John the Baptist. You've got the promise, then the birth of Jesus, and then the beginning. It's It's the, if you like, the runner's milling around before the starter's orders. You've got the uh, getting down onto the starter's lines, the on the marks, get set in in Luke's gospel. Same happens in Acts. Acts chapter one is all about waiting. It's all about getting ready. It's about the, the activity before the starter's gun that will come. And in this case, it's about Jesus giving his final marching orders to his disciples, and it's about the ascension. Jesus going back to be with his father in heaven. And he specifically says to them, wait. Verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. And then you've got the starter's gun, the bang at the beginning of ministry. And in Luke's gospel, it's the giving of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. Luke chapter 3, you'll see it there on uh, page, um, I mean, yes, Luke chapter 3, you see on page 1030. Uh, John the Baptist is baptizing. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And bang, he's propelled out into his three years of public ministry. Acts chapter 2 does exactly the same. They're gathered, they're waiting, and the Holy Spirit descends on them. This time not like a dove, but by the, like the blowing of a violet wind and like tongues of fire resting on them. And bang, they're propelled outwards and onwards into ministry. And then the rest of Luke and then the rest of Acts tell the story of this incredible ministry of speaking and bringing in the kingdom of God. It's very clear from the beginning of Acts that Acts isn't a sort of throwaway sequel, nor is it simply a story of, well, you know, Jesus did all these amazing things, Jesus was this remarkable man of God, And now we're going to spend the next 30 years sort of reflecting on what he did, as if he's gone and now we've got to get on and do our stuff. Actually, it's much more a sense of being handed something to run with. 
It comes a bit closer to a baton change in a relay race of the early church being handed something and then running with it, continuing this race that Jesus has begun. And that's why we've talked about, um, if last term we talked about walking with Jesus, here we're talking about walking in the steps of Jesus. And as we walk walk our way through um, the book of Acts, what we're going to find is that we're going to see this life of the early church, these first 30 years of the earliest Christians living out what it looked like to walk in Jesus' footsteps along the way. And I think we get two or three really good clues in these first five verses, which, which are going to pull out some themes you're going to be able to track all the way through Acts. And the first of those is the importance and the foundation of the resurrection. We're back in Acts, um, chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, says Luke, Jesus showed himself to these men, these apostles, they're called. The apostles were those first um, 11 disciples. Judas by now had taken his own life. These were the 11 that were left. And he showed himself to them and to others, giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. The apostles' big job was to be witnesses to something they had seen and experienced in their own lives. To be able to say, it's true. I met him. He's truly alive. And in fact, a bit that we won't look at in detail, but right at the end of um, Acts chapter 1, a bit that we often skip over, when they're choosing the disciple who will replace Judas, their definition of, if you like, their person spec for who they should be able to choose is very specific. Verse 21, and this is Peter speaking, says, therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. And then it goes on, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. A witness with us of his resurrection. It wasn't enough simply to have somebody who was godly. It wasn't simply enough to have somebody who was well-educated or could speak well in public. They wanted somebody who'd known Jesus. And more than that, they wanted somebody who would witness to the resurrection. For them, the resurrection wasn't simply another bit of the story of Jesus. It was the foundation on which they stood. It was the event in history that made everything else possible. Now, to me, I have to confess that Easter Sunday feels like about a month ago now. I genuinely, this morning, sat there going, was that last Sunday? Gosh, it was. It was last Sunday. It feels like it was weeks and weeks and weeks ago. But in an absolutely true sense, every Sunday in the Christian church is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is a recognition that it's because Jesus is alive that life is possible, that life is worth living, that we have the motivation but also the, 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 the power to live the life that God's calling us to live. So that's the first thread that we're going to follow through, which is that the resurrection is the place that we stand. And the apostles' big job was to witness to the resurrection and say, we met him. This isn't a fairy story. This isn't just a nice spiritual idea. This isn't something we aspire to. This is true. We met Jesus. But what about all Jesus' other followers? What about those who weren't apostles? What about those, those thousands who were going to come to faith on the day of Pentecost and afterwards? What was their job? If they couldn't directly and in their own life witness to the resurrection, what were they meant to do? Well, the thread that comes through Acts 
that you actually see has come through all the way through Luke as well. It's a thread that runs through the whole part one and part two is the theme that they are to be announcers of, livers in, and demonstrators of the kingdom of God. They're to announce this good news that the kingdom of God is here. They're to live lives that are under the rule of the king. And they're to live out and demonstrate what it looks like in practice to be those who live in the kingdom. Verse 3, Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And you're going to have this phrase come back again and again, just as you did in Luke. It's going to come back again and again in Acts. And what we're going to look at next week when I preach is going to be the next little bit of Acts 1 where we see the ascension, where we see Jesus raised to his rightful place at God's right hand on high, sitting, if you like, on his throne. Theologians often talk about the ascension as being a bit like Jesus' enthronement. Not that he wasn't king before, but that publicly and for all creation to see, the rightful king sits on his throne, raised on high. Now, the problem is, we don't tend to think of kings and kingly rule positively these days. You know, if we think of the words that we use, you know, um, if we talk about somebody being um, your boss, it's generally got a lot of negative overtones. Now, you might have the best boss in the world, and that's great, but it's very hard to escape that sense of somebody who tells you what to do. I'm, look, I'm doing that because there's that sense of somebody above you speaking down to you. The thought that it's good news to proclaim a new boss, a new leader, a new king is quite alien to us. We don't live in a culture that thinks that's a good idea. On the other hand, if you were living in mainland Europe in 1944, you would have been entirely, completely, utterly overjoyed if somebody had said to you, the rightful leader of our nation is returning. You are going to be under the new rule that is rightfully yours. What you'd see it as rightfully is liberation. Actually, the rightful king coming to those that he is the rightful king over is liberation. It's good news. It's a release from the kingdom, in Bible terms, the release from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, we know that in our everyday lives. I mean, if you want to, I suppose, a sort of light-hearted, trivial example, if you're a, if somebody who plays sport or enjoys watching sport, you know what sport looks like without a referee or without rules. Actually, it's not sport, it's a fight, generally, after a bit. Actually, there's a great sense of liberation and freedom that comes from playing within the rules of the game, from having a decent referee who actually watches what's been done and enables you to play and enjoy the game as it's meant to be played. We know what it's like in a classroom when there's no teacher around and things start to unravel and go downhill and the teacher walks in and some calm and some order is restored. Actually, if you're in the midst of that and on the receiving end of the chaos, you are delighted when some order is restored. There is a sense of liberation that comes from the rightful ruler, the rightful king. And the Bible says that the kingdom of God is very simply the realm of the rightful king. So anywhere where Jesus is served... Anywhere where the rule of Jesus is seen and lived out, anywhere where the influence of the king is known, there is the kingdom of God. 
So we see the kingdom of God when somebody turns to Jesus and says, I want to live for you. That's the kingdom of God coming to them. We see the kingdom of God when that person changes their life to reflect the values and the life of their king, Jesus. And we see the kingdom of God brought in 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 fits and starts and snippets and tastes and aromas whenever actually the world in which we live looks a bit more like it will do one day under his full rule. When the hungry are fed, when the poor are clothed, when justice is done. All of it tastes of, if you like, the kingdom, looks like the kingdom of God. So if the apostles had a very special role, which was to witness to the resurrection, if you like, what makes it possible, every follower of Jesus was then given this job of telling good news, of being the heralds, if you like, of of what's to come, of saying it's the, the true king is coming, let's live for him, let's welcome his reign and his rule. But there's a third thread, and the third thread is perhaps a surprising one at the beginning of Acts, but it wouldn't be surprising if we remembered how Luke starts. Because Jesus says to his disciples, not, right, go on then, off you go. He actually says, stop, wait. Verse 4 of chapter 1. On one occasion when he was eating with his disciples, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for what? Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. See, I'm convinced that many of us live much of our Christian lives as if what Jesus did was come, run his bit of the race, and then say, right, I've done my bit, you do your bit now. I'm absolutely convinced that many of us live our lives as if God is a long way off, basically waiting with a clipboard, going, yeah, that's good, that's good, Mm, that's not so good. That's good, yeah, not bad. No, no, messed up that. And then he's going to come back at the end and tell us how we did. But that's not the Christian faith at all. Actually, that looks more like Islam and other forms of religion. The Christian faith actually doesn't say, God's done his bit, now he's given you your bit to do and he'll test you at the end. Actually, what he says is, Jesus has run his race and then called us to run with him. He comes to us by his Holy Spirit. He says, you've seen the works that I've done. You've heard the things that I've spoken of. You've seen what this life lived for the king looks like in practice. Now come and live it with me. Now come and run the race with me. Here's the most important phrase in the whole of the book of Acts. One of the most important phrases in the whole of the Bible for our lives. Chapter 1, verse 1. We'll miss it unless we pause. In my former book, writes Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. When you think about that, that's an odd way of starting, isn't it? Of all that Jesus... If you'd written of all that Jesus did and taught, you wouldn't have bat an eyelid, would you? Looking back, I've written about all that Jesus did and taught, now now I'm going to write about the early church. He doesn't say that. He says, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see, when Luke looks at what he's about to write, part two, he's about to write about more things that Jesus is going to teach and do. How? Well, through the church, by the gift of his Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to carry on his ministry of releasing the captives, of bringing new life 
to those who have lost hope of bringing the kingdom of God in. He does it by his spirit. He comes alongside us. The book of Acts is often known, or is usually known, as the Acts of the Apostles. I think it's a very, very good case for saying that's a really bad name for it. That it should much better be called the Acts of King Jesus, part two. Part one in Luke is his life walking the streets of this earth. Part two, he continues to work by his spirit in his church. In fact, it brings me full circle back to where I started to say, actually, I think one of the, 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 um, the metaphors I used near the beginning of my talk is a really bad one. Sounds good on paper, that of a relay race. Jesus running his bit, he hands over the baton, and then we're off. Bible doesn't say that at all. It says Jesus runs his part of the race and then says, come on, join me. Let's run together. And that tells me that actually this is a story not in one part, not even in two parts, but in three parts. That actually your life, my life, the story of the church that followed AD 60 and the early church, Jesus continues his work. He continues to do and to teach. Now, through you, through me, through the life of all souls, through the life of all the other churches that we know, through the life of his people around the world, through our Monday through Saturday lives, not just our Sunday lives, in our working life and in our family life and in our retired life and our community life and in our friendships, Jesus continues to do and to teach, to bring in the kingdom, to tell people the good news through us. That means when we're reading Luke and now we're reading Acts, what we're reading is the first two parts of a story that we, we get to join. We're part three. We're the continuation of what he's doing. We get to call people to belong to the kingdom of God. We get to live it out in our own lives we get to transform the world in which we live to come more under the rule of their rightful and liberating and joy-giving king. It's a brilliant book, the book of Acts. You can read it in one sitting in a couple of hours. Actually, that's a really good thing to do. It's a wonderful story. It's got some of the best, most exciting, most challenging, most exhilarating narratives in the whole of the Bible. But it's not simply a bit of history. Nor it isn't simply Luke going, do you know, this is what happened after Jesus. It's part two of an amazing story. And Luke at the end then calls us and says, okay, now you run with Jesus. Let's see what you do with him and for him. Let's pause. Let's pray. Let's respond uh, to what we've heard. Let's think about what tomorrow looks like for us. I wonder where you'll be this time tomorrow, midday on Monday. Where you'll be, what you'll be doing. How will your bit of the race, your bit of the story look like? How will you be living out what it means to be in the kingdom of God? To have Jesus as your rightful king. How will the world see something of that kingdom rule in your life, in the words you speak, in the things you do, in the person that you are.
And I wonder how it changes how we pray. If we've got the same job those first disciples had, of running with Jesus, of bringing in the kingdom, of praying in the kingdom, of living out the kingdom. I wonder how that changes how we pray for our world. We're praying this week, and I hope every week for the next few weeks, for our general election coming up. I wonder how it changes how you pray to be praying for the rule of Jesus, the kingdom of God to be seen and lived out and encouraged and made space for. I wonder what you might pray for the, uh, what the coverage will look like, what the debates will be, how local communities will respond, the types of women and men who are elected. Heavenly Father, thank you that our lives are not simply an afterthought. Thank you that our lives are part of the big story of your coming kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, that you haven't stopped running and simply sat down and wait and watch. Thank you that you walk and run through life with us and call us to be with you. Please will you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, the one who has called alongside us. Help us not to try living life on our own, but to know what it is to be filled by you and to live life with you, that the world would see the good news of the coming King in and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.